Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in today. You know, every week we try to bring you a leader who will both inspire and equip you. And this week is absolutely no exception. Super excited to have my friend Sean Morgan with us. He is the founder of an organization called The Ascent Leader. If you do not know Sean, uh, I don't know where you've been, uh, but you really should lean in on today's conversation. I think you're going to find this really fruitful. Uh, The Ascent is they do they do these one year long that really become multiple year development programs that really do these incredible cohorts with leaders in transitions, with communicators, senior leaders, all kinds of fantastic folks. Sean has his pulse on uh, so much that's going on in the local church. Sean, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to be here, Rich. Not only a huge fan of you, the Unseminary podcast, but I do track what you're doing often and uh, shoot you emails every now and then with questions on stuff I heard that you you spoke on. Um, when you when you pop up on other podcasts, those are ones that I always highlight to listen. So it's a joy to be here. Oh, thanks so much. I'm I'm honored that you're here. Why don't you tell us kind of give us the Sean Morgan story? Tell us a bit about your background and then how that connects with uh, the Ascent Leader. Yeah. So uh, I never had a strategic plan for ministry or a call into ministry <laughs> at a young age. Like I was really interested in airplanes and mm-hmm. followed that passion into the Air Force and ended up flying airplanes, which uh, shifted gears from a full-time job to a part-time job when I left active duty Air Force and joined the reserves. And a big part of that was I fell in love with a local church plant outside of San Francisco. And that was really Mm. my call into ministry was there. And Mm. it wasn't just a call into ministry. It was also focused on that town, that church, and serving that lead pastor. Like I felt a very distinct piece of the call was identified in serving, complementing, that lead pastor for a season. Um, Mm -hmm. And I felt like that from the very beginning, I thought it was actually foolishly. I was like, Oh yeah, this will be six to 12 months, you know, and it was almost eight (laughs) years. (laughs) Um, And uh, then God blessed that, that church. We had some highs and lows in the church plant, Uh, a guy named Tom Rayner, who was CEO Mm -hmm. at Lifeway and has written a ton of great books, wrote a book about that church that other leaders wanted to come and, and glean from us. And that turned into ultimately what I'm doing now, which is discovering ways to engage with leaders relationally and conversationally to figure Mm -hmm. out what their next steps are for what I would call whatever channel in their world is going to um, bring the most ministry fruit. Low hanging fruit would be a concept or the most, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody has three or four or five key things they could be working on. But if you can really build relationship with people, you probably can figure out what's the one that's the most important. Um, that's going to be, you know, take them further faster in Andy Stanley terminology. So that's what we're able to focus our ministry on now is figuring, figuring that out. And we do that at the ascent leader in a cohort environment. 
Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, one of the things, there's a lot that I appreciate about your leadership. One of the things I appreciate about your leadership is you uh, are in the corner of local church leaders. You really are uh, the kind of person that's a friend of leaders. You come alongside of so many different leaders. I know so many people through the years have been um, really helped, honored, blessed by your your cohort work. And so I wrangled you, I twisted your arm and I said, listen, I want to I tap your brain about what you're hearing as you're talking with church leaders across the country. You have a lot of relationships with church leaders. I uh, would love to kind of hear um, kind of w- what's the headspace that you keep running into the kind of issues or where people are at. Uh, I was kind of joking earlier. It's not, this isn't really the like two year COVID anniversary show, but there is like, uh, you know, that's an interesting milestone. We find ourselves, you know, th- a lot of things have changed in the last two years. A lot of things are exactly the same. Uh, what, what do you find yourself running into as you're talking with leaders across the country? Yeah, that's great. As you were asking that question, I'm so glad you said, you know, there's this phrase, a lot of uh, things have changed and a lot mm-hmm. of things are exactly the same. And that's absolutely mm-hmm. right. There are, we're still us <laughs> through, mm-hmm. through all of the turmoil <laughs> of 2020, 2021 into whatever we are now, endemic, who knows? Um, yes. <laughs> we're still us. We still bring our stuff. And uh, so we still have things that we do well naturally and things we don't. And then that bears fruit in our teams and our organizations. But mm-hmm. I would say from from the where we are here and now, one of the things that I see is leaders are are still, even though I think the language is changing, not everyone's comparing themselves to pre-COVID um, mm-hmm. and say, oh, where are you at pre-COVID? Uh, I, and I think that's healthy. You know, it's like, well, mm-hmm. where are we now and what do we need mm-hmm. to do to go forward? Um, but I do think there is a sense of from a standpoint of how many people can we reach, there's still a big argument that is, you know, going to take years to really conclude is the nature of tracking church size by Sunday morning attendance, not being Mm. helpful to true um, transformation, right? True discipleship. Mm. But I do think there's some elements of that that are like, well, how many people can we reach and serve? And what I'm seeing one, uh, one thing that's definitely a theme for right now in ministry Mm -hmm. is there are paradigms we have carried with us for decades that need to go Mm -hmm. away. So it's, it's um, Mm. not just the pre COVID attendance thing, but there is a, a thought of, um, a little bit deeper than that. So mm. one of the questions I always mm. try to dig into with leaders is the why. Okay, you mm. said that, but why is that? Why do you think that's true? And if it's true, why is it actually true? Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I think we need to really re-examine in church is what we used to call was the 80% rule. Do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. If the room's 80% full, it's full. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. I think that number for um your church attenders today yeah is between is is down 10%. So I okay, think average church attenders want more elbow room. Okay, we're all mm. in the we're all coming out of 24 months of social distancing and just being a little further away. Um so mm-hmm. I think that that that's changed whether it's a tiny little bit or a couple percentage points. I'm going to say for the average regular attender in your church today, I think that's 70%. Now here's where mm-hmm. here's where the rub is. You don't grow your church by reaching your current attenders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You grow your church by by reaching unchurched, right? People who aren't there. I think that number for unchurched is fifty percent. Oh, 
Oh, this is okay. I'm just taking notes here. I, there's a bunch yeah. I want to loop back on this. Okay. So you think it's lower for folks that don't normally attend church? Why is that? Why, why do you think that is? Well, they don't know anybody. So if you right. go to church and um, and I love your church, by the way, I get um, mm-hmm. you know get, have a privilege of being sort of an insider there in some ways. But mm-hmm. um, you know, you go there; it's a great church, but you know people. Yeah. And you you generally, you know, Willow Creek years ago had the sections mindset mm-hmm. of trying to connect people mm-hmm. in communities based on where they sit in the room because they're, they're, they're frequently in those same parts of the auditorium at the mm-hmm. same service times. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some truth into that. We're, we're creatures of habit. So uh, you don't mind going in and there's somebody from your small group and you guys sit up next to them. Right. Um, if you show up in that room and you're already um, feeling timid about why am I even here? Like I talk myself into yes. coming here. I, I talk myself into getting out of the car and walking in here. You don't want to sit <laughs> in a seat between two people. If you go into a movie theater and mm-hmm. look where people sit before the show when the lights on and you can actually see people don't sit together. They, if they come together, right. they sit together. No, if so they true. don't, they want their own row. And so there's just this mindset of, of now as the room fills up, obviously that, that social distancing space narrows, um, mm-hmm. and there are concerts and venues that are filling up every seat. But in general, I think the feeling of people when you're unknown and you feel unknown, you just don't want to be wedged in between two people. And I can tell you what, nobody likes my singing, so they don't want to sit next to me. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So there's a lot of implications there. I, I think you're, I think you're definitely on to something there. You know, I know even just as a, as an individual, and you know, I do this for a living, right? I think about church for a living. When I go to a new place where I don't know anybody, there is that just natural kind of like pushback around, huh? Just like a little more space around me. So what would be some of the implications of that? I guess that's driving towards more services, smaller services. You know, I, like I would say, I'm a fan of multi-site. To me, that what I hear, I hear more campuses, more smaller campuses. That does resonate with some of the conversations I'm having with church leaders out there thinking about, hey, like two years ago, three years ago, we might have deemed a campus successful if it was 500 or 700 people. Maybe it, maybe a campus of 200 is successful. Maybe if it's it's fewer people and we're going to do two of them or three of them where we used to just do one kind of cram people in. Is that the kind of thing you're seeing or or bumping up against? Yeah, I think it <clears throat> it's multiple things. So like if I talk to a church and they say, you know, here's where we're here's where we're at and we do get I try not to ask first, but like where were you at before COVID? Just getting a sense of the size of your room and how many service times you had and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Most of the time if somebody tells me they're 50% full and I say, "Well, how many services are you running?" Well, we got one. Uh, how many did you run <laughs> before COVID? Two. Yeah. Um why don't you start a second service? Well, because we're not quite full now. And what they mean by that is we're not at or near 80%. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there is a sense of, um, we like the room full. If you're preaching, yes. it is so awesome to walk in and see <laughs> standing room only. Like you feel yeah. great. We got to yeah. get out of that mindset. We have yeah. to just, we have to readjust. So there is a sense of, I can tell you, um, I'm going to say, a phrase, which is like, if you build it, they will come. It, that's not entirely true, but you know what is true? If you don't build it, they won't come. <laughs> that's so true. And yes. so I think we have to get out of that mindset of trying to get toward 80% full. I think we have to go back to, hey, people are ready for some of the normal rhythms of their life. Like if you had mm-hmm. 
an 8 a.m. and a 10 a.m., but right now you're running one 9 a.m., get your 8 a.m. and your 10 a.m. back. Create the space and then work mm -hmm. your team with the vision, not to fill it as the goal, but to be reaching people. I think there's a whole mm -hmm. new opportunity here. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that's definitely something that we've got to think about that different. We have to create space. So we know that, mm -hmm. right? When we talk about just welcoming new people into church, like from the experience mm -hmm. from the curb in, like, is this a positive mm -hmm. experience? Do people feel mm -hmm. welcome? Well, part of feeling welcome is having room Yes, and their needle for what feels right with how much room is needed. Like, here's another one that I think maybe might be like 1980s, 1990s old church <laughs> advice Sure, was um, only put up half the chairs. <laughs> and then when people come in and you're pulling chairs out of the back, it, they're like, whoa, this is magical. Like we're, we're, yes. you know, like this room's filling up. Do you know who that feels good to? The people that work there. Do yes. you know who, yes. you know what that feels like when it's your first time or your second time? It feels like nobody prepared for me. I'm not right. welcome yeah. here. Like yeah, if you go yeah. over to somebody's house and there's a dining room table with six and you walk in to their house and six people are seated down, seated, seated, seated down. <laughs> and, yes. and they're all talking and enjoying the dinner table and you stand there and then somebody has to, Oh, Oh yeah. Let's, let's go get an extra chair for Sean or let's go get an extra chair for rich. You don't feel the same yeah, as when welcome. you walk in, yeah. they thought about you before you got there and there's your chair. And yeah. so I think some things like that, we just have to re-examine. Those, those aren't difficult things for, for church, but they're all paradigms that have carried with us over the years that we have to re-examine because there is some huge opportunity from um, just the standpoint of we have the opportunity to reset some things. Yeah, and, absolutely. And we can choose which ones those are. So that's that's one area where I feel like... Um, it's going to be uncomfortable for leaders to do that. Nobody wants to preach with a 50% full room, but my guess would be if you start that now, you're going to see it grow a little bit by the time, you know, May rolls around and then by fall, you're going mm -hmm. to see it grow even more. But if you're, mm -hmm. if you stay with one service instead of two or two instead of three, and you're waiting for that 80% mark, I think it's the bottleneck in a lot of ways. It's not only the bottleneck physically, but maybe even for your psyche and your mental thought process and that of the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I, the other piece of that, that I love from a a church growth multiplication leadership point of view is more services requires more leaders. It requires us to get out and find more leaders, which we know ultimately does drive growth. That as we engage more people in the mission, as we force ourselves to find people and say, hey, you, can you get plugged into what God's doing here? That does drive growth in our churches. That does because all those people's lives change. And then they end up telling their friends like, oh, I'm, I'm volunteering at the church now. Why are you volunteering at the church? Oh, you should come. All of the, those are all positive, um, you know, kind of outcomes of new services, new volunteers, where I think sometimes in this season, there's a bit of like, well, we, we, we feel the overwhelm of not having as many volunteers. And so it's like, we back off from that. We let's, well, let's make it easier for ourselves. Let's make it easier. So we don't have Hail to wagon the dog, people. right? Yeah, absolutely. We got to go the other way around. Yeah. I heard a leader say recently, he said, you know, we've got to stop thinking about rebuilding and we've just got to get back to building that like we, we've got to stop focusing on, well, let's try to get back to where we were before and just get right. back to where we're reaching people. Like we just got to get our head around. Okay. We're outreaching. going to reach a whole bunch of new people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's I love a beautiful that. statement. 
Now, when you're thinking about leaders as individuals, a part of what I love is you have like the pulse on on people, at, you know, at the at the level of, uh, you know, I'm an individual leader, not even necessarily outside of even, uh, you know, them leading in their, um, you know, in their community. What would you say is the need of leaders that's maybe stayed the same, that was there pre-COVID, that's still there now, uh, that we have to kind of as as individuals, what, what should we be thinking about? How should we be kind of caring for ourselves or developing ourselves uh, in this season? That again was maybe there pre-COVID, but is still there now today. Yeah. So I love the thought of um, margin and focus and synergy and alignment and clarity, these kinds of ideas. And um, man, the I had a conversation with a great leader yesterday who asked me a question about some somebody I was in a conversation with, and they were surprised that this person like had time in their schedule to do these things. And I was like, I'm not surprised because mm-hmm. the leaders that I see leading some of the biggest things in terms of just movements and, and that sort of thing is not, again, about church size. Um, but but the things that I'm just taking notes on and awed by, they're leaders that have focus and their team knows what that focus is. So they're focused on that, which means they say no to the other things. Mm-hmm. And then their team actually knows what success looks like. Their team knows, okay. So a leader without focus comes in the room and they their team is always on edge because this person has a high standard, but we don't know what they're going to measure today. Focus actually tells everybody, here's what we're going to be measuring and here's the yardstick for measuring. So how do you get to focus? And Mm. uh, I said, margin is the birthplace of clarity, which leads to focus. And it's a win for you and it's a win for your team. And the crazy thing is, is when you have focus, it actually fuels margin. There's there's a repeating cycle there, but Mm. it has to start with margin. So that's my answer is um, leaders need focus. They needed it before they need it now. I do think leaders are figuring it out having been Mm -hmm. the pendulum always swings side to side. Right. And so when you get squeezed and pinched and pressured through all the things that the last couple of years have offered, you feel that more and you react to it and you adjust. And so I feel like people now are, are coming into this next season of ministry saying, I don't have margin. How do I get it? Right. I love that. I love that margin is the birthplace of focus. That is so good. That's going to stick with me for sure. I love, how, how are you finding that leaders are are maybe restructuring their lives to get more margin, to, to find that space? I, I totally agree with you that uh, there seems to be this, there was a time, I think, in a previous generation where being busy was seen as a badge of honor, right? And my friend Kerry Newhoff has said this publicly, right? That at one Indeed, point yeah. it was like, hey, you talk to a leader and it was like, I'm busy, busy, busy. That was like a propagated by who ultimately a lot of those leaders who lived in that, you know, unfortunately have ended up flaming out. Their lives have not, it's not worked out well in life. Where I think we're getting to a better spot where people are saying, hey, I, I, that isn't my goal. My goal is not to be busy, 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 but it's to be fo- focused and have mission. So h- how, what are some ways that you, you're finding that leaders are adding more margin or getting more margin into their lives in, uh, in this season? Yeah, I think the, there's a couple things. The first one is just listen to your spouse. Husbands, listen mm, to your wives. Wives, so listen true. to your husbands. Um, I am always amazed when I talk to a leader's spouse at how smart they are. And how insightful. Right. And 
These leaders are <laughs> so immersed true. in ministry all day long. And then you talk to their spouse for 10 minutes and they can summarize everything in a couple of minutes. Yes. Yeah. That so, is so listen true. to those people close to you and that includes your team, but there's an additional, there's probably an additional onus with working with your team is you have to give them permission, like genuine mm-hmm. permission. They have to know they can speak into things because I think it's probably almost a hundred percent true that most employees know what their boss's weaknesses are. Mm. <laughs> so and true. most employees, like we all think we know what our boss's weaknesses are. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, so I, th- I think the, it's also true that they know when you're doing things that are going to be moving the organization forward and where it seems like you might be getting pulled and mm. we can all be numb to that that frog mm. and water concept, which I've never tried yep. that with a frog. I'm not recommending it, but, <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like the deck chairs yes. on the Titanic. Nobody knows yes. that that is actually a true thing, yes, but the metaphor the works, happens. right? <laughs> it's true. Don't let, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we have to build that into our teams. We have to say mm-hmm. it and then they have to feel that we mean it when we said it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I tell mm-hmm. leaders, there's no such thing as an open door policy. You can't just say that because that puts the onus on them to come right. in and break the ice and enter. You you can have an open door policy, but you have to grease the skids, right? You have to create yep. the culture that allows things to move that direction. And I think mm-hmm. as we listen to our spouses on where am I spinning my wheels? If I had to say no mm-hmm. to one more thing, what, what would that be? And we need to do the same thing with our teams and we have to ask mm-hmm. them and we have to mean it, which means we have to have showed them that they they really can speak into that. That's different. There is a, a decades old sort of like just that loneliness of the corner office. And some of those things are fairly unavoidable, but some of those things I think have been created over the years of leadership mm. isolation and we can do some things about it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I love that. I think that's so true. I think we have to, uh, it's like we've got to go first when it comes to creating a, a community, a culture um, with our teams where they're willing to call us on our stuff, right? We've got to show that. We've got to open up that uh, vulnerability. Um, we have to, you know, we have to work to be uh, transparent. It doesn't just magically happen. I, I love that. Now, I'd love to pivot in here a little bit more about what you're doing in cohorts. I, I, I just love what you've done here. I've had multiple friends that have engaged with you, have done, have just really been incredibly blessed by, you know, what you do. But kind of tell us a little bit about that. What, you know, what are, what are these magical cohorts that you are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're leading with leaders uh, across the country? How's that worked? Give us kind of a description of what that looks like. Yeah. Well, we started this about seven years ago. And the whole point of it was I had felt over the years and every, and you see it more clearly now, but you know, content was everywhere and mm-hmm. more people were engaging in content and it's basically free, right? Books you mm-hmm. can get for free at libraries, audible. Um, if you really follow an author, most authors are blogging, like their thoughts are out mm-hmm. there. Um, if they're pastors, they're preaching about some of the same stuff they're writing about podcasts. So, mm-hmm. There was there was a, a rising just a, the amount of content available at your fingertips if you were hungry was was rising. It was basically unlimited then, and it's beyond unlimited now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really work mathematically, but you know. Um, <laughs> yes. And so, I started feeling like, well, what are what are that that actually could feel heavy, right? It could feel dizzying. So, what are leaders mm-hmm. doing with that content? And 
I had a theory. One, leadership's lonely. We talked about that. Some some of those things you can fix. Some of them you can't. But leadership's lonely. And two, I had this thought that you everybody has to process the information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's almost like it's data. And then as right. you process it, it becomes informative. It becomes information. Mm. So it's noise, right? Mm. And then you you capture pieces of it. And then as you process it and think about it, and there's a certain amount of that. Introverts do more of their processing by themselves, extroverts with others. But we all need to share our ideas with other people. We all need other people to lean in and validate our thinking. And so I started this thing of there's a lot of great conferences out there. There's a lot of great mm. content out there, leadership gatherings out there. What if I could do more with getting leaders around fire pits or my podcast, Leaders in Living Rooms, um, at those metaphors? But I was actually mm-hmm. literally thinking about what if I could do that and mm-hmm. curate not only who's there, but what they come in wanting to wrestle with. Like if you could get mm-hmm. the right who's and they already know sort of central themes that they have in common, then they're mm-hmm. walking in the door, maybe having no relational connection but the possibilities of tight relational connections are right there on the cusp. And then Mm -hmm. what if you could, so you could curate that. And then what if you could facilitate Mm -hmm. the conversations that begin to bring that out? Here's what I'm seeing. Here's why I'm seeing it. Here's why I think it's important to me. What do you guys think? Well, I know you, I've been to your church. And so that all create that all that type of thing sort of creates a proximity and a closeness that really I would just revolve around the word relationship. And you'll ask better questions of me if we're in a better relationship, because there's trust that begins mm-hmm. to form. And so I asked myself, and we we experimented and we got some things right early on, and we got some things that we didn't get right, and we, and we continue mm-hmm. to make tweaks and adjustments. But I asked, could we create that? And one of the things was, how would we do that? And the other thing was, how often do you need to do mm-hmm. it? And we came up with three. Um, we think for all of our cohorts, we pretty much kick them off and they gather physically, typically in an Mm -hmm. Airbnb, um, three times a year. And we come underneath, Mm -hmm. uh, the tutelage of a mentor, somebody typically Mm -hmm. we've studied, we all know who open up their home and, um, and the inside version of their life and leadership. And Mm -hmm. we usually get access to their executive team. So there's a personal sort of thing of that in their home. And then there's a professional side of it Mm -hmm. into their executive team in their church. And all the while we're doing all everything together, right? So we're, Mm -hmm. we're doing coffee together. We're piling around cars together. We're doing meals together and it just brings us closer and closer. And it's all those little in-between things that take what generally would be good and just keep adding five or 10% to it to where it really has become a great thing. Love this. Friends, if you're listening in and you're not experiencing something like this, I would highly recommend that you reach out to Sean to his team. We're going to give you more details at the end, but, but even if you don't want to talk with him, this, these kinds of relationships where you're journeying over an extended period of time with a group of people with intention. So it's not just like, Hey, we're dudes hanging out or we're, we're leaders hanging out. It's like, Hey, we're, we're, we're wrestling with the same kinds of issues and we're in each other's lives enough to be able to push in. I just think there's so much value there. Uh, for sure. So interestingly, in a time when I'd love to hear why this is, because it seems intentional looking out, I've never asked you this question. In a time when everything is going online, everything is like over Zoom, everything is digital, 
it's like the ascent leader. You're going the opposite direction. You got to get on planes. You got to get in rental cars. You got to sit in people's backyards. Why? What is the magic in that? Why? Why bother? Why not? Why doesn't it just all work over Zoom? Yeah, that it is very intentional, and I I applaud everything that people are doing to to pioneer and experiment into those spaces. And obviously, during the pandemic, um, that was life giving to. Yep. So pretty much everybody. Um, yeah. and so I'm all for that, you know, the idea mm-hmm. of, of digital community and things like that. Like I've, I've been deployed in the air force. I've been deployed four times. So I've spent mm-hmm. about a year of my life living in a tent somewhere on the other mm-hmm. side of the planet. So I've been mm-hmm. a digital husband and a digital dad in those moments, mm-hmm. right? Lots of phone mm-hmm. calls, lots of FaceTimes and all those things. It was wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't choose that as my first option. I'd rather like take my kids out to ice cream, then watch them eat mm-hmm. ice cream on Zoom. But that's what was available. It was a wonderful tool. And so I feel the same way. Like there are some great things there, but I I do feel that at the end of the day, we talked about this on the podcast, we're still people. Mm-hmm. We're still us. We are mm-hmm. still made for community, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's Adam in the garden. And what did God say? He said, it's not good. Mm, by himself. Yeah. Yeah. But when community was created, Mm -hmm. it's very good. This is very good. Mm -hmm. There's something in us. We are hardwired to be Mm -hmm. like our creator in many ways. Mm -hmm. And there is a community in the Trinity and there will be always a longing for community. And so I think some of that is just physical proximity and even you know, not, I'm not a mass person or a no mass person, you know, do what you need to do to stay safe and, and follow guidelines. But I, I, I'll use that a little bit as a metaphor of like, there's something pleasing to taking your mask off, like metaphorical mask mm-hmm. of, of showing people mm-hmm. who you are and the literal mask of kind of being able to have, like, I do feel like, like you can hide behind that. And that like where I think you're actually seeing in young people, like they're reluctant to take their mask off, not because they care about COVID, but because there's some social anxiety. But mm-hmm. once you begin to trust the people around you, you're okay taking your mask off. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah so. That's so good. Well, I love this. And, you know, I, as a, so I, in my time in the local church, I've been in that executive pastor seat, you know, two and a half decades of that kind of work. And one of the things I've said for years with senior pastors that I love and have a real honor and privilege, guys like Kerry, our mutual friend, Tim Lucas, Bruxy Cavey, a guy in Toronto, you know, I, for years, I said to those, those po- folks particularly that, they don't have a peer on the staff team. There might be 50, 60, 70 people on the staff team. Uh, but, and, and I'm, and I am a good friend of theirs and I, mm-hmm. uh, love them and care for them and, you know, do everything we can, but I'm not a peer. And a lot of times those people, particularly those lead pastors or communicators, people who do that, the work of their lives is so different than the rest of their team. And the thing I love about what you do is you create a place where people like that can get those kinds of relationships. And so it is such a different pressure. I know communicators is one of the cohorts you do, um, where it's obviously groups of people who, you know, communicate for a living. And that's such a strange, that's a, a strange, weird head thing where it's like, you are the product of the organization and you're leading at the same time, man, that's an odd relationship to be in. And I can kind of see it, but man, yeah. to get around with some other folks, I know you also do a transitions cohort. Tell me about that. What's that one all about? Yeah, that's the thing that I spend about 80% of my time on personally. And 
there was a lot, 10 years ago, there was a lot going on about succession transition stuff. But mm -hmm. really, if you go, if you go look at 95, 99% of it, it's about planning for succession. And mm -hmm. I realized that there's this baton pass. And then what's on the other side of that is everybody on the church kind of goes, oh, well, God, that's over with. And then what's on the other side of that is typically a 35 to 45 year old first time lead pastor, not always first time, but sometimes, um, yeah. probably the vast majority. And they're, they're going, um, I feel like a fake cause I don't know what mm. I'm doing, but I'm in charge and I don't want to tell anybody because I don't want them to lose confidence. Like I do believe I'm called here. So what do I do And the axioms mm. of leadership that I've been taught on the team don't always apply leading the team, right? Mm, what got mm -hmm. you here won't get you there. Like what got you here on the team won't get you there leading the team. You've, you've got to shift mm -hmm. gears in some ways as a leader in that role and just in the season of transition where everything is the way mm -hmm. it is because somebody else decided it that way and set the culture that way. So mm -hmm. it was this enigma and they were very lonely leaders. So that was the first thing that I began to step toward is working with post-succession transitions leaders. And it continues to be the mainstay of what we do. We just launched mm -hmm. this week church planter. So there's two ways to mm -hmm. become a lead pastor. You either follow somebody or you go plant your own. And uh, we just announced this week that we'll be launching church planner cohorts. And I'm really pleased that's with Andy Wood, who's a friend of yours mm -hmm. at Echo. Mm -hmm. He'll be the director of that space. So that's we'll really be able to help lead pastors uh, across the board. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm really pleased with that. And God's clearly ordained that. And the transition side really just continues to, to gain momentum and uh, mm -hmm. looking to develop some content that will come out later this fall to help leaders um, outside of what we do um, in the cohort. We'll have some digital content out there. Oh, that's so good. Well, Sean, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you uh, giving us some time today to check in and, and to hear where you're at and to, to learn. Is there anything else you want to share just as we wrap up today's uh, episode? You know, first of all, thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be here, and I know you've got a great following with this podcast, and it's your 600 episodes in, so that says a lot. Like you're bringing it, and I think Carrie's the one that says with podcasts, people paying with their time, and mm -hmm. you're clearly honoring that, and so it's just a joy to step in and speak into that. Um, I mean, there's a couple other things. I, I think one of the things that, that leaders are going to have to address, and we can talk about this later, or, and there's some other experts that I think will we'll know some, is most leaders saw an increase in giving during the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. Not all churches, but most of them did pretty good. But they saw mm -hmm. a decrease in giving units, which means their major gifts were, were the driver behind that, which is, hey, that's a blessing. Um, but there's there's some stuff below the surface that's going to have to be, you know, worked on in churches to address that. And if you didn't have major gifts coming in, your budget was probably down, maybe even way down. Mm -hmm. And so there's some things that have to be addressed there. So I think that's another huge topic that's looming in the next few months. In fact, just talking with leaders in the last 30 days, um, I have, heard this story, I'll bet at least six times. And it's uh, December giving was the single best month we've ever seen. And mm. January and February were as much as 30% below budget. And we don't know why. So there right. could be this, th that could be a more um, poignant conversation sooner than I, than we all hope it will be. I hope it won't be, but I do think in the next three months or six months, leaders are going to have to 
go deep there, face the music there and begin to um, take action in different ways. Yeah, that's so good. You know, I've been saying to friends, similarly, I've been saying, you know, if you don't have a systematic approach on the fundraising side of what you do on the revenue generation. So I literally just two days ago was talking with a lead pastor about these issues. He was, we were, you know, he was picking my brain on some of that stuff. And, and, um, you know, at the end of the call, I said to him, I said, you know, thinking about revenue is, needs to be a normal part of your day. Like this, this shouldn't be an exception. Uh, This shouldn't be a like, Oh, once a year, I think about it twice a year. I think about it. It's like every week, you're going to need to think about how are we increasing revenue. And I think a lot of our churches have skated by not having to do that, but that's, mm-hmm. that is odd for organizations of our size with the number of staff and the revenue that most organizations, the senior leader, a, a, a portion, a slice, it might not be all, but it would be, you know, a third of their time. They're thinking about revenue. They're thinking about mm-hmm. when that's, and that's like, that's like Elon Musk, you know, richest guy in the world, you know, runs a big organization. He's thinking about how are we going to sell more spaceships? How do we sell more? You know, he doesn't delegate it all that. He's actually wrestling through that. And the same is true for us, I think. But for some reason, there are still church leaders out there that look at that as like, oh, that's like below me or it's like, you know, it's yucky. I don't want to think about it. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I think good, it can be over-spiritualized. Well, it's God's provision yeah. and all this stuff. It's like, well, yeah. yes, but that doesn't mean you can't have a plan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And take some action on it. Sean, so good. Where do we want to send people online if they want to track with the Ascent Leader or track with you? How do do we want people to kind of follow up with you post uh, today's episode? Yeah. I mean, the best way, our our website is great. Uh, We just did an update late last year, which is the Ascent Leader, A-S-C-E-N-T, theascentleader.org. And uh, our social is really through Instagram at the Ascent Leader. Love it. Thanks so much, Sean. Appreciate you being here and uh, look forward to having you back in the future. Would love to. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for all you do. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.